Please then turn with me to our text this morning, which comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Hear with me then the reading of God's Word. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the Gospel of Christ, to establish and to exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. As far as the reading of God's Word. Brothers and sisters, a a paradox is a seemingly self-contradictory statement that when explained is well-founded and true. Or another way we could say it is a paradox is a proposition that perhaps seems false upon its face, but upon further examination is anything but. And I think that this is what we see here in verses 1 through 5. Because you're probably thinking to yourself after hearing sermon after sermon in chapter 1 and chapter 2, about how Paul says, I know that these saints are chosen by God. And Paul tells these saints, you likewise are to be assured of your faith and your salvation. He now says something that may give reason to pause. And in fact, he does say something that has given many reason to pause and for themselves to draw out a false conclusion. Because after the Apostle says in chapter 1 and verse 4, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you. He now tells them in chapter 3 that He was so concerned for their faith that after trying to get to them again and again and again, He ended up just sending Timothy that He might learn about their faith for fear that the tempter had tempted them. And Paul's labor would have been in vain. You start to see the the paradox there. How Paul can at one point say, I know you're chosen, and you ought to know that you're chosen. And a few paragraphs later, say he's so concerned that Satan has tempted them that he sent Timothy to hear about their faith. And someone reading this, and unwilling to take Paul in his totality, to take Paul in context, might be drawing for themselves a false conclusion in which they say, well, Paul wanted to send Timothy to these saints and he is in fear for their faith because Paul just didn't believe in the perseverance of the saints. Paul didn't believe in the perseverance of the saints. Paul must have believed that one minute you can be chosen, you can have faith, and the next minute... You can lose that faith. 
Yet in fact, brothers and sisters, if we take Paul in his totality, if we take Paul in context, we know that that type of teaching has no foundation in Paul. As Paul is the one who said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is this same Paul who says in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And so, is Paul sure as he said here? Or is he not? It sure sounds to me like Paul's is sure from these texts that we just read. But in fact, if Paul isn't sure, then what we must do is we must then draw the conclusion that Paul it must be one of two things. Right? He must be a liar or he must just have a really bad memory right? to be able to say such contradictory things, to say one minute, one thing, I know you're chosen, and the next minute say, I'm scared that you're going to lose your faith. Right? Yet those who would take Paul to be saying such a thing are usually the same people who would reject the Scripture's ultimate authority. They would reject the inerrancy and inspiration of Scripture. Yet for others like us here, we know what the Word of God is for we are told by Scripture that the Word of God is God-breathed. It is the very Word of God speaking to us. And so, brothers and sisters, we know that the Scripture has an internal consistency because our God is a consistent God. Our God is not contradictory. And so neither is His Word. And so when passages like this arise, when questions may come up in our mind, what do we do? Well, we use the infallible rule of interpretation of Scripture, which is Scripture itself. When passages like this come up, if there's any question to the true sense of the meaning of a text, what we do is we search out the meaning in other places that speak to us more clearly. And this is what we have shown in Philippians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8. There is also another clear passage in Romans chapter 8, verse 30. Remember that great golden chain of salvation Paul speaks of here, of redemption. As he says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Does this sound like someone who thinks that the saints can lose their salvation? I don't think so. You see, Paul knows that these saints are chosen based upon their reception of the gospel in the midst of persecution. He knows they're saved because of their continued faithfulness and the fruitfulness which accompanied that faith. But these things that, we are, that I'm describing to you are all external manifestations that are, or they're external demonstrations of faith. This is the only thing Paul has to go by. He only hears what they profess and he sees how they live. He can't you know, pull back their chest cavity and see what's in their heart. Only God does. And so Paul has human confidence in their faith. He believed that it's real, true, genuine saving faith because Paul knows what results in real, genuine saving faith. 
And he sees those results exercised in the life of these saints. Yet what is also true then about this statement is that Paul does not have infallible or exhaustive knowledge. This type of knowledge lies solely with God. And so even if one of these saints who Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, I know that you're chosen by God, and 20 years down the road, one of these people in the church of Thessalonica apostatizes, it doesn't make God wrong or his word untrue. Nor does it mean that Paul was teaching some other doctrine. And it doesn't change the fact that all those who are truly Christ will never lose their salvation. You don't go from chosen to not being chosen. This is what we've been taught even by Christ the Savior ourselves, right? In the Gospel of John, what did He say? All that the Father has given to me will come and I will lose none and I will raise them all up on the last day. That is what Jesus tells us. And so, brothers and sisters, this paradox can be explained by saying that Paul, humanly speaking, is confident that these believers are chosen by God based upon their profession of faith and their obedient lives. Knowing, though, ultimately, that if they are saved, it is God who is going to keep them in the faith until the return of Christ. And so Paul has this one truth in one hand, that those who are chosen by God will remain chosen by God and endure to the bitter end. But he's also dealing with this other truth, being acutely aware that right now, as believers, we are engaged in battle. We are engaged in war, where the tempter is trying to kill and injure and hinder all of those who proclaim the name of the Lord. And so what is Paul looking to do? Well, like any good leader... Paul is writing, desiring to equip us for battle and to make sure that we are executing the game plan. Because our success will inevitably demonstrate whether we are truly Christ or not. Right? Because if we have Christ working in us, Christ will not fail. Christ will not fail. And yet, Christ uses means to get us to where He wants us to be. He uses means to continue us and to keep us in the faith. And so anyone who is deceived by the tempter is simply bearing witness to the fact that they never had true faith to begin with. And never did they have the Spirit living inside of them. But brothers and sisters, what is also true is just because you are a believer and have been saved by grace through faith in Christ, and just because you now have a new heart and a new mind, that also doesn't nullify the fact that we must constantly be sharpening ourselves for battle. We must constantly be sharpening ourselves for battle. And this is Paul's concern. And for any of us, Paul included, we can never know if someone is truly saved unless they persevere until the very end. And so Paul wants to equip the saints to continue in the faith so that we might be found to be stable and steadfast in Christ not shifting from the hope of the Gospel. And so the question then for us this morning, in light of all of this, is how does Paul make sure the saints are ready for this battle? Especially in his absence. And what we will see is that he does it by sending Timothy to do what? Well, we're told in verse 2 that Timothy goes to the saints in Thessalonica in order that he might establish 
and exhort them in the faith. You see, brothers and sisters, this is one of the many purposes for which we gather as a church and why it's so important to be here as the church. Because these same things that Paul describes Timothy doing for these saints are the very same things that you and I need. We need to be exhorted and encouraged and established in the faith. Or another way to say it, we need to be strengthened and comforted in the faith. And when we gather here on Sunday, on the Lord's Day, is that not what we do? When we hear that call to worship, when you hear the law and you hear the gospel speaking to you, and we respond to God in prayer and in song, and the word is opened and the scripture is read and it's expounded, is not your faith being strengthened? I sure hope so. But that's the effect of the word worked out in each one of your hearts by the Holy Spirit. And yet, if I asked anyone here today to, by show of hands, raise your hand, brothers and sisters, if you have perfect faith, would anyone raise their hand? If you did, we might have to have a talk with Pastor Bill afterwards. Right? But none of us, none of us would raise our hands because none of us have perfect faith. And because we don't have perfect faith, you know what that means? It means that it needs to be strengthened constantly. It needs to grow. And it increases as we learn. And the depths of the knowledge of Christ are so vast, they're so deep, they're so great, that we cannot in our lifetime attain all the knowledge of Christ that is open and possible to us. And yet that isn't something that we should look at as, as bad. That we, sh- we shouldn't say, oh, well, we can't learn everything, so we might as well just quit now. No, we ought to look at it as something good and to be excited about it. Because what that means is that we every day can be learning new things. One day you could open the Scriptures and you could read them. You could sit before a minister and hear a sermon preached. And months later, you can open the text and read that same passage. And you can go to church and you could hear that same sermon preached. And you could get new and deeper information and teaching and instruction and exhortation. And that isn't because the meaning of the text changed. But what it means is that there's more deep meaning to all of the texts of Scripture. It is like peeling back the onion. There are layers as you peel back more and more. You can learn more and more from a particular text. And so this is how we are strengthened in our faith. And so then how are we told that we are comforted by the Word? Well, like with anything, the more you know, the more comfort you feel with something. Isn't that true? Let me provide you an example. Let's say you just start a new job, doing something that you've never done before. And as soon as you start that first day, you feel what? You feel very uncomfortable. You have to learn perhaps a new computer system. You have to learn new lingo. You have to learn uh, where everything goes. You have to, you're learning a whole new job. Yet, as day by day goes by, as month by month goes by, and you're immersed in your job, the much more comfortable you feel and become. And the same is true for the Christian life. When you are first a believer, we know very little, especially if you never grew up in a Christian household. 
And so the more that you read and you study God's Word and the more you are in church and under the preached Word, right, the more comfort you feel as you learn more and more and more about the Word of God. Right? All of a sudden you, you're hearing these promises being spoken about that you're unaware of. You hear about the kingdom of God which is broken forth into time and space. You hear about all the present blessings we have now and what that means for us in the future. And you feel so much more comforted, don't you? Having more knowledge. And so one thing, brothers and sisters, that we ought to be taking from the text this morning is seeing the importance of growing in knowledge of Christ because it provides us needed strength and comfort. Because it was so important to Paul that he was willing to be alone and to send Timothy that Timothy might get to the saints to disciple and to encourage them in the faith. This is what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, when we could take it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. You see, sending Timothy shows to these saints the level of concern that Paul had for them. Because think about it. Paul could have sent any of the ambassadors of Christ. He could have sent any minister to the saints in Thessalonica. But he didn't. He didn't just send anyone. He sent Timothy. And remember what Paul says about Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. For I have no one like him. Timothy was one of a kind. And this is the one who he chose to send to the saints in Thessalonica. And remember what these unbelieving Jews and Greeks were saying to the saints in Thessalonica. They were saying, Paul doesn't care about you. Paul has a lack of concern for you. Yet in sending Timothy, Paul demonstrated to them the very opposite, didn't he? He demonstrated what great love he had for the saints in sending Timothy. Because in sending Timothy, what did Paul do? He demonstrated that he put their needs and interests and welfare ahead of his own. That's what he was demonstrating to those saints. And so Paul sends Timothy out of great concern. And we said that the purpose of him coming to them was to establish and to exhort them in the faith or to strengthen and comfort them in the faith. But what is the particular reason that we are told that they were in need of this help? What is the particular reason they were in need of this strengthening and this comfort? Well, we're told in verse 3 that no one be moved by these afflictions. Paul's concern was that these saints buckle under the pressure. That they would be deceived and that they would abandon the faith. You see, though, that if being moved by affliction is the concern of Paul, what is the remedy? If being moved by affliction is Paul's concern, what is the fix? What is the solution for that? It is being strengthened and comforted by the Word of God. It is not seeking revenge. It's not turning to the bottle. It's not trying to amass wealth or power. In affliction, the remedy is turning to the Word of God. Now what's also interesting about this is if you recall... In chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul said of these very same saints that they were not only imitators of Paul and Christ, but they were also examples to the other churches. 
They were also examples. They were a very young church, but they were so strong in the faith and obedient in life, Paul said that they were examples to others. Yet do you know what this ought to teach us today? Reading this, understanding this, it ought to humble us. It ought to humble us because you know what it teaches us? That no matter how well versed you are in Scripture, no matter how an obedient son or daughter you think you are, we are all in constant need of being confirmed in the faith. And the same was true for these saints. The same was true for these saints. They were no different. They were suffering some kind of persecution. We're not told exactly what it is. But the, the tempter is trying to uh, deceive the saints through these unbelievers. And so perhaps their persecution wasn't that great. You know, even today in America, can we really say our persecution is that great? No, we're not being thrown in jail or, or killed for our faith. But you see, this isn't the only way that the tempter works, is it? Satan doesn't always come full force at us. Remember, he is crafty. And so those who do his bidding here on earth likewise come at us in various ways. They may do just what these unbelievers in Thessalonica were doing. They were just dropping seeds of doubt. Just dropping seeds of doubt. Saying Paul only cares about himself. He's just doing something, he's just doing this to get something out of you. Oh, you see, look, Paul runs and leaves when he sees something hard. He's just trying to deceive you by his teaching. And in doing this, you can see what they're trying to do. They're trying to come alongside the saints and say, See, look, we are the ones who really care about you. We're the ones who are really concerned about you. We're the ones who really love you. And you can almost imagine the, the unbelieving Greeks there talking to the, to the converted Greeks and saying, Come back to us. We're the ones who really care about you. Come back to serving all of the all of the pagan gods with us. You can you can hear the, the 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 Jewish people there saying to the converted Jews, "Don't listen to Paul that Messiah talk and that resurrection talk. Jesus is not the Messiah. Come back to to Judaism and serve the one true God with us." You can hear that almost in this text, and even today, don't we hear that same type of thing being talked to us? People are saying, abandon Christianity, or at least conservative Christianity. They're they're so behind the times. So-called liberal Christianity says, join us, we're so progressive. We know so much more than those people did in those antiquated times. We agree with science. We know so much more than those first century Jews did. Right? We know the scriptures were just written by men. Join us. We're inclusive. Come and be whoever you want to be in our church. And so many today fall into this deception. And they fall into this deception because they don't want to have to suffer at all. They don't want to have to suffer persecution. They don't want to be mocked. They don't want to be ridiculed. They want to just fit in with the world. But what in fact is Paul's message to the saints today? Paul's message is the exact opposite. It isn't, saints, I know you're dealing with this great trial and these afflictions, so you know what you should do? Try to avoid it at all costs. That's not what Paul says, is it? No, look at what Paul says at the second half of verse 3 and verse 4. He says, For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. 
For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. Paul says, we've been telling you, we've been warning you, we've been teaching you that this is going to happen. And look, it has now come to pass. Yet he also says, don't worry. He says, don't worry. Here's that comforting that we were talking about. Paul's comforting them, saying, don't worry. Why not? Why shouldn't they worry? He says, because you are destined for this. This is God's decree, His plan for your life being worked out through this suffering. And isn't it much different than what you would hear from popular Christianity today? Popular Christianity today says that if you suffer, you're doing something wrong. You don't have enough faith. You're not living obedient enough. But that isn't historic, orthodox, biblical Christianity. Turn with me, please, brothers and sisters, to Acts chapter 14. So we might see, in fact, what the Christian life is really about. Acts chapter 14. We'll look at verses 19 to 22. Acts 14, verses 19 to 22. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Even here in this text, brothers and sisters, we see what was Paul doing. The same thing he's doing here. He was strengthening and comforting. He was establishing and encouraging to continue in the faith in the midst of persecution. Because Paul says what? It is through suffering. It is through tribulation that we enter the kingdom of God. You see, brothers and sisters, persevering, and not only persevering, uh, but persevering through suffering is evidence that you have true and saving faith. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29, isn't it? For it has been granted to you for the sake of Jesus Christ that not only you believe, but what? But you suffer for His sake. It has been granted to us as saints not only to believe, but to suffer. And so it is the duty of every minister to warn his people, to prepare his people for what they will experience. And this is what Paul does. This is what Timothy has come to do. This is, in fact, what Jesus did himself in his own earthly ministry. John chapter 16, verse 33, he tells the saints this, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation." But take heart, I have overcome the world. Even Jesus says, tribulation will be your reality. It will be your experience as a Christian. Yet likewise, Jesus, just like Timothy, just like Paul, doesn't just tell us, hey, you're going to suffer and I'll deal with it. Jesus comforts us as well. He comforts us as well. 
And why does he have to do this? Why do they all have to do this? Well, by nature, we don't want to suffer, do we? Of course not. Who wants to suffer? Who wakes up in the morning and says, boy, can't wait to suffer today? Nobody does that, do they? Yet, brothers and sisters, suffering has a purpose. Suffering has a purpose. We are being conformed to the image of Christ through suffering. We are learning to be dependent on Christ through suffering. We are learning to go to Him for all that we need to endure hardship. We are being brought to our knees before the throne of grace in prayer through suffering. And what is the comfort that Jesus gives to these saints? He tells them, yes, you will suffer, but don't worry, for I have overcome the world. He says, you might suffer in body, but no matter what someone can do to you physically, your eternal soul is secure in me. The world cannot destroy your soul. The world cannot separate you from Christ. And although, brothers and sisters, we may suffer, it is but temporal. It is but temporal. In Christ and in Jesus overcoming the world, we have an eternity that awaits us in which there will be no more suffering. Yet the reality is, the truth is, the hard truth is, if you want glory, you must be willing to suffer. Remember, glory only comes through suffering. You can't run from suffering and expect to ever experience glory. And why is that? Well, it's because Christ Himself suffered for you and I so that we might experience that glory. And as His servants, are we greater than our Master? No. How is it that Christ overcame the world? Christ overcame the world through suffering. And if Christ suffered for you and I, are we now unwilling to suffer for His sake? Perhaps we need to be reminded why we ought to be eager to suffer for Christ as He suffered for us and why He had to suffer for us. He had to suffer not just for you, brothers and sisters. He didn't just come down in the likeness of sinful flesh to bear the weight of the curse on your behalf, appeasing the Father's wrath for you. He didn't just do it for you, but He did it because of you. He did it because of you. And so if you are a believer here today whose sins were forgiven on the cross, then you know what that means? That it was your sins that nailed Him to that cross. It was your sins that killed Christ the Savior. Now ponder that. Ponder that the next time you want to complain when the slightest bit of affliction comes your way. That the perfect, sinless, spotless, blameless Lamb of God suffered on your behalf. Not for Himself. He didn't do it for Himself. And now we ought to suffer for joy with Him. And when I say suffer with joy, I don't mean that we have joy in the act of suffering. But rather, that in suffering, we take joy that we are suffering for the name of the One who has come and redeemed us. That is what we are to have joy in. That is what we are to have delight in. And so, brothers and sisters, if you are a believer, 
I echo what Paul said. Suffering is your destiny. Suffering is your destiny. Your life will be characterized by suffering. As Christ's first advent inaugurated the kingdom and with it came tribulation. Came tribulation in its beginnings, in its first stages. Suffering, brothers and sisters, is not something that will ever go away. We aren't going to outgrow it. It's not that those saints had to suffer and we've moved past suffering. We don't have to anymore. In fact, G.K. Beale, in his commentary on 1 Thessalonians, says this, which I thought was very good, about suffering as a Christian. He says, Paul's not talking about a time which will pass and the church will return to normality. But rather, normality for the church is persecution. That is what's normal for church life, persecution. Paul didn't just teach this. Jesus didn't just teach this. Peter likewise taught this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. He says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share in the sufferings of Christ that you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And so, brothers and sisters, it is so important as a Christian to surround yourself with the Word of God. To surround yourself with brothers and sisters who love the Word of God. To surround yourself with ministers who will preach to you the whole counsel of God. Not just what you want to hear, but what you need to hear. I mean, think about it. If you were, if you were going to go into battle today, and your commanding officer just wanted to tell you what he thought you wanted to hear, and he says, oh, don't worry, battle's going to be easy today. These guys, they're no problem. They're little wimps. They've never fought in a day in their life. You'll, you'll run through them like that. And you get out there to fight. And they are the biggest, the strongest, most well-oiled machines you've ever seen in your life. Would you appreciate that he told you what you wanted to hear rather than what you needed to hear? Of course not. And the same is likewise with the pastor. You ought to listen to pastors who tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. Don't try to appease your ears so that you would be not tossed to and fro, that you would be not moved by affliction and deceived by the tempter. And so the question set before each and every one of us today as we go home and as we look at ourselves in the mirror is this. Not will I suffer persecution, but the question is, When I do, will I remain faithful? That is the question. Not will I suffer, but will I remain faithful in suffering? And so, brothers and sisters, may we here at Covenant Baptist Church be found faithful through suffering. That means not leaning upon our own wisdom and our own understanding, but upon Christ. As we are strengthened and we are comforted through His Word, also, we ask that we might be able to echo those, those same words that the Apostle Paul did when we suffer, professing that we consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with that glory that is to be revealed to us at the revelation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, please bow your heads with me in prayer.
Father, we thank You for Your Word today. We thank You for the clarity in in which You speak to us with Your Word. Uh, How You give us those clear passages to teach us what perhaps other passages that are more difficult in meaning, what they truly uh, mean so that we might understand them and we might be able to uh, live obediently to Your Word. So Father, we pray that You would grant to us all that we need here at Covenant Baptist Church to suffer well. For we have been destined to suffer as believers in Christ. And so Father, we ask that You would give us courage, that You would give us strength, that You would give us boldness, and that You would increase our faith for the sake of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we pray this all in His name. Amen.